0: Philippians chapter 4, and in the in-between place, we talked about what it means that we live in between, amen, and there it is. How many remember that? That that's that's pretty much where you live your life, somewhere you're in between. Every one of us at some place, one stage or another, is in between an amen, and there it is in our walk with God. You you either it's come to pass and you've moved on to that next phase or else you're waiting there. Sometimes you're there. You don't know how you got there. There's all kinds of different circumstances and situations that surround that. But uh, it's so important that when you're in an in-between place that you learn how to be at peace. It's so hard. And I share with you, Sisterhood used to make this statement. My pastor's wife used to make this statement. Never make a decision in a valley. Too many people get down in a low place in a valley, and then they make decisions that are life changing and life altering. And so you never make a decision in that place. You wait till you feel like you're coming up on the other side, everything's coming together, you have clarity, you have wisdom about what you're doing, you're not responding out of emotion. How many know what I'm saying? so you get to that place. But to be able to do that, you have to have a place of rest. And this morning as we were in prayer with our men together and just praying, I asked some of our guys what they felt and they began to talk about rest. And then I share with them that this is a verse that the Lord had given me. Philippians chapter four and verse ten, but he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Now at last your care for me has flourished again, and though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity, verse eleven, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I'm in, to be content. So I'm gonna to talk to you this few moments about being content, but I want you to listen to verse eleven now, the amplified it says this. Not that I'm implying that I was in a personal in, in any personal want, for I have learned how to be content. Listen to the amplified definition of that. It says this. To be satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or disquieted. That when I'm going through things, that Paul says, no matter what condition or state I've in, I've gotten to the place where I am not disturbed Or disquieted by my circumstances. I'm content. Or in other words, I am at rest in God. Isn't it amazing? We talked about uh, last week or two weeks ago um, about that. When they were crossing over that Jesus said, let us cross over. And in between the shores is where the challenge was. But in in that in-between place, Jesus was at rest. He was sleeping and resting in the back of the boat. The disciples were stirred up. If they could have learned to be content, not disquieted or disturbed by what was going on, but keeping their eyes on him. And then we talked about Jesus when, when, when uh, I mean, Peter walking to Jesus on the water. And Jesus comes on and the next time they're crossing over and they're rowing, Jesus stayed behind and prayed. In Matthew 14, you can read it. And then in the, at the third night, third watch, he comes walking to them and and then... Peter says, Lord, if that's you, bid me come to where you are. And Jesus says, come. And says when he gets out of the boat and he takes his eyes off of Jesus and looks and begins to look at the waves and the circumstances, then he began to sing. The way to remain content is to keep your eyes on the Lord. Amen? In the circumstance, Come on, God has not failed. God knows everything about our lives. He knows where you're at. He knows what's going through. And if, if I get too messed up in there, then I believe that as we're going through things, I always believe that people are connected to our life. Nobody's life is an island and isolated all to itself. There's no such thing of you just living your life and not affecting anybody else. Somebody is connected to you in some way. We talked about it with the men this morning in discipleship, and one of the amazing things about Sergeant Anthony when you listen to him is that reality of understanding that somebody's life is connected to my action, that if I don't act, somebody could die. That if I don't take the defense, if I don't go on the offense, if I don't move, the people behind me, their lives are in jeopardy. We don't live with that awareness all the time in our society, in our generation, but it's important that we come back to that. uh, Previous generations lived with an awareness and not because we're, you know, Hillary Clinton has any vote on either. Well, I'll just leave Hillary alone, I guess, here. But... uh, But the whole thing about a village and community is true. We used to be more community minded. We used to be more aware and more neighborhood minded, more thinking about and we didn't just live and isolate ourselves and fence ourselves in and wall ourselves in and gate ourselves in and communities and shut ourselves off from anybody everybody's life and just go and never talk to our neighbors. How you doing? We used to be more involved, but, and even in church, we get where it's harder and harder to get people to break out of their comfort zone and break into fellowship one with another. We're not called just to live as Christians for ourselves, but to interact, and somebody desperately needs us to move on their behalf. So while we're going through that, people are connected to us, and there's as much that happens, there's as much about our going through this in-between place as there is about us coming out on the other side. Does that make sense? I believe that God is doing things while we're in that in-between place and we can't figure everything else, that God is still at work. Just because it doesn't look like my answer has showed up yet, just because I'm in between my amen and my there it is, it doesn't mean that God is not working in me during that time. And that my life is connected to other people's life. Look at the cover of your outline. Learning to be content with what I have Of what the world has to offer in my life. And discontent with what I have of God in my life is my goal. I don't know if you can grasp that this morning. But that's probably be a pretty good statement for my life. I want to live more with being satisfied with what I have of this world. And less satisfied with what I have of God. Instead of going after more of the world, I choose to go after more of God. Are you with me? I believe that has to be our goal. So I want to be content with what I have of what the world has to offer, but discontent with what I have of God in my life. I believe this is the only way to live a life that will have an impact for God in my generation. In the days of the book of Acts, those men and women who turned the world upside down, had no colossal intellectual capacity, no great financial backers, no social standing or influence. They were the most despised men in and around Jerusalem, yet the Bible says they turned their world upside down. So they were aware that God was working through them. I believe we need to live in that awareness. Yet somehow they broke out and impacted the world for Christ and established His church. So what has happened to the church in our day? And could God raise up men like that again? I believe He can. I believe he can raise up, and I believe there is a movement happening in the earth today. One reason, Brother Winky's coming tomorrow or this weekend. Winky Prattney is coming to Roseville, and Pastor Doug and Francis got together and bringing him in, and churches coming together. They're doing it on Friday and Saturday, so our churches can come together. Is because that's what Winky God has used him in studying church history and the awakenings. And if you look at the different seasons where God, how many have ever read the Book of Judges? And you see this cycle where people are doing things then God raises up a deliverer and they have peace and they have victory and then they go back into a cycle. Well, if you look at church history, the church has had cycles too. We have cycles when the church is on fire, the church is living for God, the church is being the church. And then we kind of slip in and we're infiltrated by different things. We get caught up in the world and and distracted by the world. And then all of a sudden God starts another awakening and and not so much a deliverer and delivering people from oppressive rulership, but bringing people out of a slumber and getting back in full life. For God, are you with me this morning? So I believe that happens, and so, and, and so Brother Winkie has a great anointing in bringing truth there. Look at the inside of your outline, if you would, with me. Dr. J.B. Phillips, a great theologian and, and a church father, made this statement on his commentary on the book of Acts. He says, this is the church of Jesus Christ before it became fattened out of breath by prosperity. <laughs> I love old guys like that. Yeah. Amen? He said, when you read he said, this is the introduction to the book of Acts. This is the church before it became fat and out of breath by prosperity. This is the church of Jesus Christ before it became muscle-bound by over-organization. This is the church of Jesus Christ where they didn't gather a group of intellectuals to study psychosomatic medicine. They just healed the sick. This is the church of Jesus Christ where they did not say prayers, but they prayed in the Holy Ghost and there was a vast difference. Amen? So they were men and women who did not just study and know the Word of God. They actually knew the God of the Word. They had spent time with Him and allowed Him to have His rightful place in their life. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Let's just read this. This has been one of my favorite verses over the years. Um, I did not, maybe you're here today and you're like me, you did not take advantage of all your years of school. You basically snuck through. Do I have any friends in the house? I got through, yeah. So, I can deal with that. And so learning and studying, I, I've done more studying since I got saved than I ever did going to school. And then I begin to find out that life, we just study the rest of our life. Life is a journey of learning. Amen? And we should be growing, increasing, and especially in the knowledge of the Lord. And uh, Acts chapter 14, Peter and John are being examined by the religious leaders of that day, the great minds and the intellects of what God's supposed to be doing. And in verse 13, they say this, Acts 4 and verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they perceive, hey, these guys are uneducated and untrained. But watch this. They marveled. And they realized that they had what? Been with Jesus. And so the book of Acts is people who just hung out with the Lord, had a relationship with God, and really knew God, and didn't just talk about God. Amen? We must once again become the people who believe that God's Word is not obsolete, but absolute. That living by the Word of God and standing on the Word, proclaiming the Word and loving the God of the Word is not a profession, but a passion. Would you agree? The living, that living a life with passion for Christ is not just for the preacher, but it is to be the description of every believer. I have a lot of people say, oh, Pastor, I like you. your passion, your fire. Well, what about you? I'm glad you like a fiery preacher. I'm glad you like a passionate preacher. I'm glad you like all that. But wait a minute. We're all supposed to be that way. We're all supposed to be passionate about God, on fire for God. Would you agree this morning? Amen. So I want to understand that there is a cycle to the behavior of man. Very seldom does he come up with anything new. He only repeats the failures of the past by dressing it up in the fashion of his day. Are you with me this morning? What what we're trying to do and what our government's tried to do and what the leadership that's currently in our government's tried to do is just try to redress up and represent something, but it's still the same thing. And I know they're saying that about Governor Romney and about the other side and doing that stuff, but hey, some things have proven to work. Are you with me? And so we want to operate by that. Prior to World War I, there was a group in England called the Fabian Socialists. Men like George Bernard Shaw and H.G. Weld. Wells was kind of the self-appointed prophet of a new world order. He never talked about redemption or sin. He was a rationalist and a humanist. That's what we have a lot today, people that rationalized in the encroachment of secular humanism. In 1912, two years before the war of 1914, H.G. Wells wrote this: "It is impossible for us to have a new race of people by intellectual it, excuse me, it is possible, not impossible. It is possible for us to have a new race of people by intellectual and biological process. We don't need the Bible. We don't need the church. We can pull down the hills of wealth and we can fill up the valleys of poverty. Sounds like an Obama campaign speech. He didn't talk about sin and redemption and wickedness. He talked about the the adequacy of materialism. He talked about the inevitability of progress. He talked about the sufficiency of man. They were going to usher in a new millennium by their own genius. And does any of this sound familiar? I'm just talking, and I know I'm making comments about the election season that we're in. But listen to me. If you look at our society today, that's a description of our society. That's a description of our schools. That's what's being taught in our public school system. And where our nation is being taken down a path that we, if we keep going there, we will not recover from. We can fix it. What they said is we can fix it all without God. How come the only thing we're kicking out of our society is God? We talked about the men this morning. There's something that you need to understand. Sergeant Anthony was here last week and he was taking a stand. He says, wait a minute. There's a misperception about Israel in your country today. And I'm here to bring a voice of truth. Can I tell you there's a misperception about God? There's a misperception about the truth? There's a misperception about living for God? What Christians have a right to do? And we need some Sergeant Anthonys right here in the body of Christ who are not afraid to go on to the campus of their society and walk through their life. And say, wait a minute, I'm not going to put up with it anymore. I will be a voice of truth for God. Amen. And defend that truth. But that takes a push on our part. Something happened, though, to Wells in his last book, Mind at the End of Its Tether. He wrote this. What a title for a book. Mind at the End of Its Tether. Listen to what he wrote. There is no hope. See, this is the guy that said we could fix it. But at the end of his life, this is what he said. There is no hope for humanity. And there is a little cavity somewhere in the human breath which can be filled by God and only by God. Isn't it amazing how perspective can change? How we can go from knowing it all to knowing nothing at all. Only desiring to know the One who is the all in all. Amen? We miss the mark telling people who are many of them morally good and very excellent, that Jesus came into this world to make bad men good. He didn't. He did, but He didn't. Jesus didn't just come to make bad men good. He didn't just come to make us better. He came so that we might be saved. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. God's first argument with man is not that he is bad, but that he is dead and trespasses in sin. See, if you're bad, you can get better. But if you're dead, you have to be made alive. I mean, no man hasn't figured out how to do that yet. See, if I'm bad, you know, if you say, Johnny, you're bad, you need to change your behavior. Well, Johnny can change that. Uh, You don't need a Savior to die for you to go from bad to good. Are you with me this morning? That that, that in-between place, anybody can bridge. But to go from death to life, you can't get there on your own. And that's where H.G. Wells came to that place. He says, hey, I've come to find out that man, there is no hope for man. He has a hole unless God moves on his behalf. He is hopeless. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Watch this. And you, he made what? Who were what? Dead and trespassed in sin. So how many know that's a little bit different than just going from bad to good? And we tell that. So, you know, Jesus came to make you better. He came to make your life better. Yes, life in Him can be better, but life in Him can also be a sacrifice. There's a lot of missionaries, you look at their life and doing different things, living for God. How many know they're sacrificed to serving God? It's not all grace. It's not all easy. And and, and, and it's not all the nicest things that God would ask you to do. But it works. Are you with me this morning? Praise the Lord. So watch this. Christianity is the only gospel in the world and the only message in the world where a man's God comes and lives inside of him, renews, rebuilds, and restores him. So there's a battle. You can read Jeremiah about our heart and God working in our heart. There's a battle of two natures raging within us all. It's the original war of the world. How many know H.G. Wells wrote the book War of the World? Okay, author and fictional and all that stuff. And, and uh, Tom Hanks didn't write it. I mean, uh, Tom Cruise didn't do it when they did the movie. It was actually a takeoff on H.G. Wells' book. So watch it. God so loved what? The world. the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Romans twelve two says, do not be conformed to what? The world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. First John 12, verses two, chapter 2, verse 15, 16 tells us to love not what? The world, neither things that are of this world. Your greatest promise from God will produce your greatest opposition from the enemy of your soul. How many have found this that the moment you said yes to God, things changed? The moment you said, I'm gonna live for God, I'm going all out for God, seems like all hell broke out. That's that that's awesome. It is. You know why? Because it's validation. That there actually is an adversary. That it is isn't all in your mind. And that somebody is trying to stop you from getting from your amen to there it is. The moment you said, amen to God. God, I'm going to live for your... Mind. See, see, look at the main place we live. The moment you... Confess Christ as your Savior, you repent. And one reason we're baptized because the Bible says, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. And, and so we do that, and it's the confession that sin, and we were in bondage, and because of our sin we died. But the moment I say, Amen, to accepting Christ as my atonement for my sin, His life in me, I'm now, my my, 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 my there it is, is eternity with God. And so that's not going to be complete until... My life either ends here or the Lord returns. How many still believe in the rapture of the church, despite of what's being preached? Amen. Jesus is still coming back for the church. There is a return of the Lord, and so either way, either God's coming or I'm going to go be with Him. Amen. And so we live in that place, and living in that greater place of amen, and there it is. That's where we find this adversary. We make that decision for God. His greatest promise puts us in that greatest place where we need that contentment that Paul talked about, and that rest and that assurance in Him. Think about it. The enemy of your soul, the adversary, the devil, he comes against the promise is your promotion to the battle. We don't like the battle anymore. We don't everybody tell us about peace. Amen. But sometimes you have to engage the battle. Think about Sergeant Many of you were impressed with Sergeant Anthony with him here. But you know what he's doing? He's not coming to bring, bring peace. He's coming to preach truth. He's not trying to, to calm his accusers, accusers and naysayers. He's coming to dispel their accusation with the truth. And so his choice to do that was his promotion to the battle. People say, well, can I serve God without conflict? No. I'm sorry. It isn't going to happen. It just won't. Because once you start serving God without conflict, then you have to give up this. You have to give up that. You have to give up this. And so if you're giving up, what are you giving up? You're giving up territory and you're backing up. And the same way he said, hey, we have no place to go. The line in our sand has already been drawn. There's no place for us to retreat. I believe that God's trying to raise up the church to be that way as well. That we draw our line in the sand. There is no room for retreat. And we're not going to give up this area. Are you with me this morning? Go with me to Philippians chapter 4. and You were there. We'll go back there. When you find yourself in that in-between place. In that, God, I said yes. And all this broke out. and And I thought yes was going to bring me to here. And I thought by saying yes to you, this was going to come and pass. And I thought about this. And the Lord said, well, it is... But you don't understand to get there. If I let you direct on how to get there, you won't get there. But if you feel God stirring on the inside of your heart. When we went down to to the gym with Sergeant Anthony after... After service Sunday, he heard about. It. He wanted to go see it, so we took him down there, and he, he just was he was blessed and excited about it. But he asked Sean, he said, "How did Jim come to pass?" And he said, "Well, tell him the story about Pastor Doug and how years ago God gave him a burden for the youth of Roseville. Looking around, saw nothing being done. Gave him a burden for the youth of Roseville, and uh, then he talked about us getting saved. And so to him, this is all new. He, we were, and I shared Tuesday night. You were the only second church he had ever been in." He doesn't speak in churches. He speaks on college campuses. And uh, so through their affiliations with Christians United for Israel, they, they went and spoke to a couple of churches while they were out here. And said, But we were the only second church. I shared Tuesday night also. Just a little glimmer into his life and where he lives. When they arrived at church and they were standing in the hallway down here, he asked Randy Neal, who was with him, he said, am I among friends? Amen. How many ever felt like that when you went to church? I Anyway, but we were, we were there, and uh, so we're talking, and he's asking us, so by being saved, do you mean this? And he's asking about the terminology that we're in, and he said, burden, what do you mean by burden? Is that like we have Jesus on the wall down there at the gym and the cross and stuff? He goes, do you mean that's like when, when you say yes to Jesus, and when he talked about picking up the cross and following him? And I go, kind of. Stand up, son. But I said, it's more like this. I said, you're doing something. I said, you're doing what you're doing because you feel that God has placed his hand upon you. And you didn't come up with, but God has placed his hand on you saying, son, I need you to do this for me. And you sense a burden from the Lord, a, a touch of God and the weight of God coming upon your life and compelling you and drawing you to step into an arena that you did not choose for yourself. And I said to us, that's what a burden is from the Lord. We say we have a burden for the Lord that we're serving God. We want to honor God with our life. But all of a sudden we feel the hand of God come upon us and and, and giving us this burden to do something in response to his heart for a need. Are you with me? And uh, thank you, son. And and he goes, oh, man, that's awesome and stuff. And so but isn't that cool? But see, God's wanting to put his hand upon you. Not just a select few, but on every person. That we would each feel God's hand and His burden leading us to do something about our life and our sphere of influence. Are you with me this morning? Praise the Lord. And so, in this area, in moving and stepping out, our first line of defense is here. Verse 7, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God. And Paul said, whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be content. But while you're in that place, h- how do I deal with that? How do I do that? I, I love what Sergeant Anthony said, and we, it came up this morning, but he was talking about um, when he's on the campus, these people are coming against him. And he's just there sharing truth. But he says, I'm not intimidated by their threat, shouts and their threats, because they're not shooting at me. And their words can't kill me. He says, I've been on the front line where the opposition is literally trying to shoot me. And rockets and bullets and take me out. So words are not going to harm me. So I can stand there. I can take it and be at peace. And be at peace. Because they, they're not trying to kill me. They're arguing with me. And so I don't have to lose my Peace. In an argument. Are you listening to me this morning? And so when you're in that in-between place, there's so much that we can learn. And this morning amongst men, we were drawing these parallels between what he's doing and what we're supposed to be doing as men of God. And instead of just looking back and admiring somebody saying, hey, I need to step up and enlist in that type of activity. Amen? Think about what would happen. And so your first line of defense is to guard your heart, first of all. Your heart, which is the seed of your emotions. And then your mind and your... Re- if you're in the in-between place, how many have ever had your emotions get out of whack? Besides me. Never had that problem. Never had emotional problem. Hallelujah. But then, how many know when your emotions get twisted around, your reasoning kind of goes sideways too? Because your reasoning is trying to calm your emotions. And you're operating out... And you're not operating out of Wisdom. But listen to what, listen what Philippians 4 says. And the peace of God will surpass all understanding. will guard your what? Your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. So when you're there, you need that peace ruling and reigning in your heart. The, enemy's always, the enemy always attacks here first. He attacks your heart and your mind to remove you from your peace. Jesus said like this. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. But my peace I give to you. It is a peace that goes beyond what you can understand. So you can rest. The disciples, when they were in between the shores, they didn't know how to rest. He's asleep, but they didn't know how to enter into that rest because we're told so much to respond to circumstance. There's Sometimes you don't need to respond. You just need to sit down, be quiet, and wait on the Lord. Amen? And say, Lord, I didn't, I didn't get to, this. Is, I didn't, this is your burden. This is your direction. This is your lead in my life. I didn't ask for this. You led me here. How many know Jesus is the one that told him to get in the boat and go the other side? Tell me know he's in charge of their arriving? They didn't say, hey, Jesus, want to go over there? No, that isn't, the way they, that isn't the way it went. He said, hey, let's get in and go to the other side. So when you're in between and living for God and saying yes to God, you sense God calling you and saying yes to you. When you're saying yes and you're in that in-between place, wait a minute, I didn't ask to go there. I'm following him. I'm serving him. I'm honoring him. And so this is a part. I'm here because of following. And so I can rest here. Because he brought me here. And he knows that I'm here. Amen. Go back and read the story of Joseph. God gives him a dream. And he starts sharing the dream. He's excited about it. But that agreement with the dream took him to some unpleasant places. Amen, got him rejected by his family, got him sold into slavery, got him thrown into prison, and then finally brings him out after all those years. Think about it. The enemy attacks there and people fail here the most. There are two key areas. These are the two key areas redeemed and renewed through salvation. We get a new heart and a renewed mind. The unfortunate truth is that too many spend their lives trying to fill the world with what fill the to fill with the world with what the world can Fill with the world. What can only be filled by God. I can say what I wrote. Praise the Lord. (laughs) How many know you write stuff that sound really good when you do it and then you have to repeat it? All of our heartache and pain in life comes from our efforts to do what only God can do. To make ourselves complete and happy and whole. Think about it. I just, what are you doing? I was just trying to be happy. I just wanted to be whole. I just wanted to. And so we're trying to do it instead of trusting God. H.G. Wells found out at the end that he could have, that end that, what he could have, ha- have known at the beginning. We don't need the restoration of social programs and reforms. We need prophets. Yeah, like that, yeah. Amen? We need prophets. What does that mean? Those who by nature of their calling are tragic figures. Go back and read your Old Testament. Just go back and read the description of the prophets. They were tragic people. Nobody liked them. What are you going to do? Oh, that's that's Elijah. He never says anything good to me. No, he says the word of the Lord, dodo, trying to deliver you. He never prophesies anything good. He me blah, blah, blah. No, he's prophesying the truth. Well, I don't want that. And, and, and then they get other. Oh, you, you be the prophet. You tell me. Oh, you're great. You're wonderful. It's all going to work out good. Oh, you're an amazing prophet. And then the prophet would show up and go, it's not going to work. There. Read Jeremiah. Yeah. Jeremiah prophesied, and, 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 he, and God told him to put a yoke on and, and come up and do all this stuff. And, 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 and then Hannah and I, get, this other guy comes up and breaks it and says, that's a yoke of wood. And said, no, God says, peace, peace, peace. And Jeremiah goes, well, I hope you're right. But the word of the Lord is, you're wrong. And besides that, you can be dead in a year. Ha! Ha! And God's God's going to take the yoke of wood and He's going to put it on a yoke of iron. And the guy died in a year. How many know you don't make friends like that? But how many know that was the word of the Lord? That's what our nation needs today. We don't need the social reform. We need the word of the Lord. They have a fierce loyalty towards God and a broken heart over a lost nation and humanity. We've been trying to marry Christianity to personalities, prosperity, and popularity, and it isn't working. I have to avoid the trap of being becoming self-satisfied, self-sufficient, and self-righteous. I must realize that I need something that is outside of anything human at all. I need to seek the only one who is worth finding. I must learn to live in contentment in Christ. If you guys will get that ready, Eli, to play. I'm asking just to turn the house lights off. And I told you, yesterday morning the Lord woke me up in in dealing with this. See, everything you've heard today brings you to a a decision. Every time you hear a message preached, you have to decide. You have to make a decision. How will you respond? Every one of you is making a decision based upon what you just heard. Not about how well I delivered the message or whatever. But about what the content was and how you're going to receive it. and Whether you're going to respond to it and all. So you're sitting in what's called a valley of decision. You're in an in-between place. And the choice you make here, anytime you're faced with a decision, the choice you make determines a lot of things. And yesterday morning, the Lord just woke me up, and, and every now and then, he doesn't, he doesn't do it all the time, but He woke me up, and, he, and he just this word just came to me. It says a lot of people are in the valley of indecision. They're in-between Make, they, they don't mind hearing them, but making the choice, making the commitment, making the decision. They get stuck in that in-between place of the valley of decision. And until they make a decision, they can't come out on the other side. And I can be there and I want God to bring me there, but he's waiting for you to make a decision. And we have lots of reasons why we don't move, why we don't make the choice. My dear friend Rick Turnage came up to me couple weeks ago and he says, Pastor, I've been working on this for a long time and I hesitated in making a decision and it's been something that's worked in my life and I've been working through this and I've been trying to perfect this and I want you to listen to the song and watch the clip that he did. Father, this morning you spoke to my heart yesterday and said people are in that valley of indecision in between making that choice, Lord, you didn't say what it was about, maybe it's just right here, they've been in between making the choice to take the stand, to speak up, to reach out, to be your voice and your hand extended, whatever it is, Father, There's people here this morning caught in that valley, in between. Lord, when we don't act, we find ourselves just like Rick showed us. We found ourselves with regrets because we allowed ourselves to remain in the valley of indecision. Whatever the action you're leading us to. you're here today and God's speaking to your heart right now would you just stand and come up here real quick don't stay in that valley of indecision make a choice I'm not going to stay in this in between place of not choosing to act to say to speak to do what God has been directing me to do I'm breaking out that God brought you here today it doesn't matter if you're not here he knows that you would be here and he brought you here for this moment for this time God's been speaking to you to talk to somebody, to do something, to take an action concerning your personal life, your circumstances. Every one of us has a different situation. But God's speaking to you right now. If that's you, just move real quickly.